internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's the last reviews for 2019. The end of the year and end of the decade recap list will be next week. But for now, let's review the last entry from Blue Sky Studios before the Disney buyout, Spies in Disguise, Greta Gerwig's latest movie, an adaptation of Louise May Alcott's novel Little Women, and the latest from A24 and a serious take from Adam Sandler, the first in several years and the most prominent since Punch Drunk Love, Uncut Gems. Let's get started. It's about to get messy. Time to go sleepy night night. I miss my hands. I gotta stay. We have different skill sets. That's what makes us such a great team. Walter, you're squeezing too. Oh! What happens in the submarine stays in the submarine. This actually ended up being the last movie I saw in theaters for 2019, just based on uh, my schedule. Uh, I saw Uncut Gems first, then Little Women, then Spies in Disguise. Weird how, you know, things turn out. But, yeah, I was very interested in seeing this. Uh, even before the end, the Disney buyout of Fox turned this into a Disney-affiliated studio, I just liked the idea of it. I liked the... the uh, character designs, the animation looked good. I had very high hopes for this, and it delivered for the most part. Um, the premise here is uh, Will Smith is a cocky James Bond style, like best agent in the agency sort of guy, cocky, self assured, you know, your basic Will Smith character. And Tom Holland is a dorky, non violent sort of wants to be good person all the time, but. Be, but has weird like like he's got this thing in the movie where he loves uh Kore South Korean dramas and like melodramas that he and he'll watch this one on repeat. Uh, he's into unicorns and kitties and glitter, and so he's kind of seen as the weird kid. And even though he's like super smart, graduated from MIT at fifteen, sort of uh, hyper intelligent sort of dude, and. He, but his whole thing is that he loves, he doesn't want to hurt people, even the bad guys. And so he, and so they, they end up working together after the, the you know, the one-handed man, the man with the metal claw for a hand, uh, uh, frames um, Will Smith's character for um, treason. And it's up to Will Smith and uh, Tom Holland's characters, uh, Sterling and... Um, Beckett, I think, to, to to avoid internal affairs, um, a team played by Rashida Jones, Karen Gillan, and DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled! Uh, but thankfully not as bombastic or, or as, like, uh, hokey as you would assume a DJ Khaled uh, casting would be, you know? It's not like Will Smith were just like, yeah, that's very clearly just Will Smith. Uh, the DJ Khaled performance is actually more uh, subdued. It's not as over the top as you would imagine him to be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the movie is solid. It's a great kids movie. Um, it's a little bit, it's actually a bit more intense. Like, I can imagine some littler kids being really freaked out by what's going on in this movie. Because the villain does not, like, one of the biggest um, things with kids movies is they'll sometimes pull punches with the villains where they're just, like, they'll hurt people but they won't, like, actually kill people. This dude, no, just straight up kills people. Like, yep, they're dead. They, he's dead now, Jim. And uh, so they, they actually have stakes for this guy, because he's actively killing people, and that's something you don't normally see in a kid's movie, and I'm glad that it's here, because it's 
it shows that there are a lot, you know, it, it perfectly juxtaposes to uh, Tom Holland's whole idealist, idealistic look at the thing, at the world. Is he willing to find, once he meets a force that cannot be stopped through nonviolent means, will he give in or will he push forward and still try to, you know, stick to his ideals? So that's a, you know, it's a, it's a great way to, it's, the, it's actually the best kind of villain for this sort of, for the themes that they had going on here. Mainly that they're all about non breaking the cycle of violence because, like, um, in the Double Toaster review, they covered uh, how this is basically Skyfall meets Emperor's New Groove. And yeah, it is, but it's still a lot of fun, e even with that sort of premise being being like mixed together it's it's a lot of it's a, you don't really think about the two of them uh although the um the villain is definitely playing off of um uh, uh javier bardem's character in skyfall um uh, but, but uh it really is um like it's it's kind of like Everybody else sees this kid as weird for not wanting to hurt people, but the villain it is the perfect example of how the cycle of violence hasn't done any good, and they need to start working on breaking that and using non-violent, or at least non-life-threatening uh, equipment and gadgetry instead of relying so much on explosives and guns. And so uh, having that being the central theme of the movie is actually a fairly solid uh, idea and the way they handle it is actually really well done now, the writing in this is solid for the most part uh the other thing being that you know <laughs> since he's a cocky so fly solo kind of guy uh lance sterling has to learn to work together and it's through relying initially on uh beckett as a pigeon and uh and over the course of them trying to clear his name he begins to realize i can't keep doing this alone that 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 i need a, you know having a team behind me is not going to hurt he, you know he he learn he kind of gets over his own ego cuz it's not like it's it would be one thing if like he does kind of hint that he does things solo cuz he doesn't want people to get hurt but they don't really play into that i think that would have been a great sort of character uh, per, uh, trait to him where like the reason he goes solo is because the last couple every time he's had a team he's had to, you know he's lost them and he doesn't want to and so he plays it cocky but in but internally he doesn't want to lose anybody again he can he keeps and in this line of work he you keep losing people so it's better to fly solo i don't know i think that would have been an interesting sort of character uh uh trait to give him but i don't know uh yeah, it, this really is a solid animated movie. It was a great animated movie to end the year on. Um, it's not as good. It's not the best one for the year, um, but it is. It's not even the. I still think Peanuts movie is the best from Blue Sky in terms of animated movie. Uh, but I forget just how versatile Blue Sky Studios is. Like so you think of them as just the Ice Age crew, but aside from Ice Age, they've got Epic, which was gorgeously animated. Uh, Ferdinand, which was, you know, it was what it was. It was a fairly, fairly solid kids movie. Um, but the, once again, it dealt with themes of, you know, what is masculinity and and toxic masculinity within the, within the premise. And I think it's a good, um, it, it's not a, it's not the best adaptation of that story. I still think the Disney, you know, I think keeping it short, like the Disney short did for the book is better, but, um, Ferdinand by Blue Sky is not terrible either. Uh, Peanuts movie, like I mentioned, one of the best, one of, I think is their personal best. Um, 
Rio is solid as well. Like, so, I mean, Blue Sky has done some, every one of their non-Ice Age movies has been interesting, if not, like, amazing. They haven't been great story-wise. I think that's their biggest flaw. Their biggest strength is their character design and their willingness to try out different character designs and animation styles. They're not the single style every single time. Like, you don't want... Like, even the, like that's the thing. Even with um, Pixar storytelling and their beautiful animation, their character design seems to fall within a lot of the same trope. It's very Disney-like. Especially since they were bought by Disney after that buyout. They, they are very soft curves and round shapes. It's not very... Um, it doesn't really break the mold when it comes to character design. Whereas all of the Blue Sky stuff is like... Some, Ferdinand is very Disney-like. Whereas Peanuts movie is straight up just... An, it's, it's just a 3D rendering of the Peanuts comic strip. Whereas Epic is much more intense and dramatic. And then um, Spies in Disguise is much more kitschy and, you know, angular. It has some angles to it. But it's still, like, you know, cutesy. So, I mean, like, their character design work is phenomenal. And I hope that Disney doesn't just shutter them like EA or... Uh, um, yeah, or, like, specific, uh, I think Ubisoft does it some, but Electro Unicronic Arts, uh, is notorious for shuttering studios once they bought them out, and I hope that Disney gives Blue Sky some chances to do their own thing besides Ice Age. We're not, re not relying solely on Ice Age to keep them going. Maybe do another Peanuts movie. I think, honestly, pe uh, another Peanuts movie kind of playing off, um, not a direct remake, but playing off the same kind of stuff they did in Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown, where it's like a camping thing, because there's so much material for camp-based um, storylines uh, from the from the strips. So, I mean, there's so much they could do with that, or sports-related. Like, there's, you know, have, I, I think doing another Peanuts movie in that same style would be amazing, as long as they kept it within that same spirit. But um, that's just me. At any rate, um, the only real criticism that I can give this are... That uh, internal affairs team that we're following, the only one that really gets any focus is Rashida Jones. Like, they get Karen Gillan and DJ Khaled as these characters who are who barely make a dent in your uh, remember in your um, in, in your uh, memory from watching it. Like, oh yeah, Karen Gillan's in this, and you hear it, and she's like, oh, she's just doing her Scottish accent. No, it's terrible. Um, ah, uh, she's just doing her Scottish accent. No, nope, that's awful. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, basically, she's just doing her. Her, she's just leaning into her Scottish accent. And it's like, why did you get Karen Gillan to do this? It's like they brought her in for a, for a, for like a day's worth of recording for this movie. Like she barely, she barely makes a dent in the story. So why did you get someone as versatile as Karen Gillan to be in this movie if you're not going to use her? Uh, the other thing is there are these weird tangents of bodily humor that just immediately brought it down. For me, because like it's fine to be cutesy and kitschy and kid friendly. That's that's one thing, but it has this weird. They goes on these weird tangents of like explaining what a cloaca is and like referencing the fact that you know he Will Smith his character is losing his dick and he's and he and poop and pee comes out the same hole now and there's two, there's a whole extended sequence where he's fighting a guy who's naked and it's like oh the butt the butt oh no naked butt oh no and it's like what am i watching it is what am i watching am i seriously watching this like it's it completely took me out of the movie because that's not the movie i was watching like five seconds ago and all of a sudden now we're just talking about butts like 
Oh no, it's the butts! Ah, the butts, the butts! I can't unsee that! Oh no, Naked Man! And it's like... Why are we doing this? Who thought this was funny? Like, it's not all that funny, but they keep harping on it. Like, ha ha ha, poop and pee, naked butts, naked butts, poop and pee, ha ha ha, waka waka waka. Can't you just not, can you just not, you're better than this. You've shown that you're better than this, and you do fine when you're not doing this, but for some reason, you keep wanting to do this movie. I don't get it. So, uh, thankfully, it's not that bad after a bit. It's just those weird moments that that take away from the rest of the movie and they didn't really need to be there. Because otherwise the humor is fine. But it's just these weird tangents that they go on and it's like, why are you doing this? Stop it. But, um... Yeah, Spice in Disguise. It's one of the better, um... Blue Sky movies, and I definitely recommend you check it out at some point. Maybe not rush out to see it in theaters, or uh, maybe do like an early matinee or early bird screening sort of deal. You don't have to run out and go see it, but I do recommend you check it out at some point. I'm so sick of people saying that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. I'll admit I have a certain type of movie I get into. And, you know, if you've been watch- listening to me for a while, following me um, in various capacities, I'm very much into the action-adventure superhero, bigger... If you're showing me something on the big screen, I expect it to be worth my while to see it on the big screen. Most That's why most of my end-of-the-year list have been blockbusters, because that's what I want to see on the big screen. But I gotta admit, uh, even though period pieces aren't always my thing, uh, and especially since Greta Gerwig, I thought uh, Lady Bird was a tad overrated only because I felt like it's a, it's a bit overwritten as compared to Edge of Seventeen, which I thought was a much better coming-of-age story. And I just thought the, the character was unlikable in Lady Bird. But, you know, I guess that was kind of the point that you were watching this um, girl growing up and kind of overcoming her own um, uh, ego. But at the same point, like, I, just, I never got into Lady Bird. I thought it was a bit overrated, personally. But um, this is Greta Gerwig's best so far. Uh, this is... I've never actually read Little Women. I don't... I never really knew the story. I just knew it was about some sisters. I didn't even realize it was American. I thought it was part of that whole, like, Emily Dickinson and... Um, um, uh, who are they all? Like the Bronte sisters, kind of like a British author. You know, it's like I, they're their parent, um, uh, Jane Austen. I though I feel like though that uh, this book is tied into those so much that I figured it was British. I had no idea it was actually about. Uh, it was actually written by an American woman and set in America. But uh, yeah, it's really it's an interesting um, story. I have no idea if this is um, reminiscent of the book at all. Uh, but as a movie itself, it is a very solid sort of it's a very solid um, slice of life sort of look at these sisters, uh, and it's an amazing cast uh, that helps a lot. Um, Saoirse Ronan, who I adore, just everything, even in like really crappy stuff like The Host, I've enjoyed her in. 
not to mention Emma Watson uh, is it does a really great job as the eldest sister Meg, um, and then Florence Pugh, who is starting to become a a, her, a star in her own right thanks to um, f- immediately following uh, Fighting for My Family, and now uh, she's going to be the uh, one of the um, other Black Widow characters in uh, the upcoming Black Widow solo movie. Uh, ideally, I'm, I'm guessing they're probably going to int- have her take um, Scarlett Johansson's place, which is good because Florence Pugh actually does a Russian accent. Hey, how about that? Somebody who can actually do an accent. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that's going to be a big uh, uh, talking point of mine when that comes out next year. But Florence Pugh is starting to show shine, starting to you know to really shine now, and it's, and she deserves it because. Uh, I barely recognize, I forget that, I keep forgetting that that's her as Amy in this movie, because I don't recognize her uh, based on what I've seen her in, and yeah, she really is solid, Um, and then um, I don't know the (laughs) fourth, that's the one problem is that the fourth uh, sister, Beth, is played by somebody I don't remember, so I have to look up the name, Uh, because like, yeah. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, and Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, they're all great. And then Eliza Scanlon as Beth, you know, the one who, the one who gets sick and is quiet. I think that's the problem is that she does a good job, but she's such a character that's in the background because she's so, um, reserved that you forget about her because Joe is the very passionate and, uh, pushy one. And then Amy is the uh, kind of jealous, but, you know, still very passionate one and meg is like the sweet charming eldest sister and they're all they all so um very they're all so memorable and then meanwhile beth is just like hi she's she's literally the fluttershy of the four sisters um but uh yeah she does a great job uh, not to mention the fact that you've got laura dern um timothy chalamet uh chris cooper uh Meryl Streep, uh, at one point Bob Odenkirk shows up, and it, it's just all such, such phenomenal casting, and they all do f- such great performances. This really is the best I've seen from Gerwig, um, even though I've only seen Lady Bird, and I have no idea about um, that one independent movie she did before that, Um but suffice to say that yeah, it's a great and it's got great direction too. Like it does the dual timeline thing where they keep cutting back and forth to uh, I think like seven years in the past and the pre- and the ongoing present timeline. And you're able to like that doing that sort of thing can easily lose tr- you know get lost for the audience. You can you can lose an audience if you're not doing it well. And as time went on, as I was watching, I'm like, holy crap! I can tell you, you there's there's subtle like. Uh, lighting things and various other ways of keeping you in the know of like now we're in the present now we're in the past now we're in the present now we're in the past and it's really solid direction on her part and yeah it really is not to mention the fact that i just see so much of my this and um blinded by the light were the two movies this year that really inspired me to get my creative juices flowing and get back into creating stuff again it they really were like Joe. See, watching Joe get into writing her novels, like I need to do this. I I need. I got my ideas. I need to do this, man. And it's like I kind of got. T- by the time I got home, I was still tired <laughs> because depression is awful. But this and um, Blinded by the Light were the two movies this year that really 
worked for my inspiration and and for and so if you're a creative type these this is definitely one for you because yeah joe kind of captures the intense creativity of somebody who loves either writing or make you know not to mention the fact not to mention amy's whole thing of being an artist like she went she stuck being you know good talented but not amazing and she wants to stand out and she feels like if she doesn't stand out and be like the best thing ever she'll never be she'll never be good enough and yeah that's a lot it's a lot of really good good stuff in there for creative people i have no idea if that's in the books or if that was something uh gerwig added but yeah it's all phenomenal i think um, and yeah, it was one of those things where it's just like, I respected it in the first hour or so, but then after that first hour, once the second act, and especially the third act started kicking in, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm liking this, I'm liking this, and I'm loving this. And now, yeah, it went from something I just was like golf clapping, yes, that's very good, yes, quite good indeed, to like, oh yeah, this is fantastic, amazing stuff. Um, I think my only thing is that... It's not perfect five stars for me just because I I could still feel that two hour length. It's a it's still a lot of time uh, devoted into this whole endeavor, and that first hour leading into what I liked is still it's still a bit of a drag for me. So it's not amazing. I mean, it's not like. My favorite thing, I should say. It, it is still a very solid film. I very highly recommend it. This is my pick of the week, for sure. And I highly recommend it. But it's just my own, once again, my own personal bias. This is not the kind of movie I go back and revisit and get into. I can, but at the least I can, the least I can do is tell it, it tell Gerwig and all the actresses and, you know, everybody involved in the, making this whole movie, y'all did great. Y'all deserve every accolade you get because it really is a phenomenal uh, uh, movie. Whether or not it's a good adaptation of Little Women is, uh, I have, I'll have to wait till like Dom covers it or something. But it is a very good movie in its own right, and I'm very curious to see how Gerwig follows it up. So yeah, pick of the week to be sure. I told you about how things were gonna go. You like the way things are going now? That's my whole family. Get the kids out of the house. You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. KJ, it's game night. You should be stretching out. What is it, a coach? Nah, you're just a crazy ass Jew. Adam Sandler is, is a weird person because he's somebody who is very clearly talented and yet so often he'll make like absolute garbage and, and you know, because it, it doesn't matter what he does, he's, his fan base will make, will pay to see it. And it's, you know, nothing, and I mean, if, if they're into that sort of comedy, fine, but at the same point, like this guy is very, could very clearly do good things between like, uh, his bits in Funny People, um, Punch Drunk Love, I hear great things about. And yet he'll, yet he resigns himself to making crap like the, 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 whatever, Six, um, for Netflix, or, uh, That's My Boy, Jack and Jill, like, oof. He's capable so much better, but he resigned himself to making the kind of crap he made fun of in Funny People. And I'm not sure... 
what the deal was. I don't know if that's just his agents demanding he do that because that's what they're he's what is expected of him, or I don't know. But the nice thing is that he does um, is willing to take more serious roles when he's given the, when he's given the chance and. Thankfully, this is one of those times where he is allowed to be really interesting. Uh, the, the the story here is that Adam Sandler plays a struggling uh, jewel uh, jeweler in New York. And he's chronically... Like, this is a character study in a guy who is too big for his own britches. And he, he keeps trying to be a baller, but he can never keep up. And it's only destroying him. And specifically destroying him because his brother-in-law uh, is, or some fa- or some kind of family member is is part of a organized crime, and he's the one that Sandler owes money to. So it's constantly going. He's constantly dealing throughout the movie with uh, Robert Bogosian plays uh, the brother-in-law, and he's constantly dealing with this guy, especially his two goons who are played by relative newcomers. The one dude who looks. Who looked weirdly like he's related to, um, uh, what's his name from, uh, uh, Baywatch. Oh, God, uh, uh, Hoff, uh, uh, Hoffman, Hoffman? Hoff, uh, now it's gonna bug me. How can I not remember David Hasselhoff? I, I was Hoff, I know it was, he was the Hoff. But um, yeah, David, he, 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 the dude in this movie, I swear to God, looks like David Hasselhoff. Um, let me get the guy's name. He, this is his first movie role. Um, but yeah, the, the one dude in here uh, looks, uh, Keith Williams Richards uh, is the dude I'm talking about. And he looks like he's a straight up body double or and like stunt double for... Uh, David Hasselhoff, and yet this is his first movie. So, and he does a good job in it too. Like he could easily be the tough, uh, tough, you know, like the um, the uh, under guy, the, you know, the second in command or the toady to uh, a bad guy in uh, other mafia movies. And so does the other guy, Tommy Kaminick. They're both. This is both of their first movies, and they do a great job holding their own uh, alongside Bogosian and Sandler and all these other actors. They're really good, and yeah, I swear to God, it looked like they had David Hasselhoff uh, being this tough guy, and it's just, no, there's just some guy who legit looks like, like, look it up, uh, Keith Williams Richards and David Hasselhoff, look look the two of them side by side and tell me they aren't, like, related or something. It is so bizarre, but, um, yeah, so uh, while um, uh, Sandler's character is dealing with this, he's also got family issues with Adina Menzel playing his uh, estranged wife. And, um, you've got, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, the other really standout performance in this movie. Like, everyone's talking about how great Sandler is. Lakeith Stanfield is absolutely unrecognizable. Like, I think the dude was just in Sorry to Bother You, if I'm not mistaken, or am I thinking of somebody else? No, yeah, he was, um, just in Sorry to Bother You, and he is unrecognizable as this sort of gopher and, uh, pusher for, uh, Sandler's character, brings in all these basketball players, rappers, and brings, you know, brings in uh, dudes to buy gems off of Sandler. And Sandler keeps screwing him over because, once again, Sandler thinks he's a baller and he keeps trying to, you know, get bigger deals off of people. But um, Stanfield brings in Kevin Garnett, who's playing himself. This is set in uh, 2012, just before the, um, and then leading into the NBA Finals. 
and uh, the idea is that the uncut gem in the in the title is a black opal that um, the movie begins with um, this shot in a Chinese-run Ethiopian mine. And uh, after an accident, a couple of guys dig up a black opal from the mine, and that is what becomes the sort of MacGuffin throughout the movie. It's the one that Adam Sand- that Kevin Garnett falls madly obs- becomes madly obsessed with and needs it, and Adam Sandler is trying to get all this money out of, and it get, keeps screwing him over throughout the whole um, movie is just this big score he's hoping to get from these opals, and it it is such a, you know, it's such a tense thriller of a movie as Sandler is just trying to finally get a big score going off of his bets, and it just everything keeps getting... Get you know screwing himself. He keeps screwing himself and screwing himself, and yeah. Um, another newcomer that I really liked was a uh, Julia Fox. This is her first major film role, and she holds her own as the love interest, as the sort of side chick initially, but becomes like the main love interest for Sandler. And yeah, she does a great job um, throughout this movie. I think, and yeah, at first you think like yeah, she's just no, she's nobody. But then as the to- as the movie goes on, she becomes so involved with the plot itself, and she does a great job with it. Yeah, it's, it's such a tense thriller, and it really kind of shows like it's this beautiful character study of this guy who is very clearly just too egotistical and narcissistic for his own good, and is gonna get some, and he's just obviously karma's just coming back to pay him. You know, to pay him for all of his misdeeds. And it's just, he just wants that one big score. It's a very tragic uh, story. My only real criticism is most of the scenes have people always talking over each other. So you can almost never understand what they're saying. So there's so much dialogue that'll get lost because everyone's like... It's like, what's going on? I feel like closed captioning wouldn't even help. It's so chaotic. And I think that the one thing that really took me out of the movie is that every other scene is like that. So, I mean, if you have a hard time with keeping track of, so, of like, fast-paced talking dialogue, especially if it's layered over and over and over, I feel like, I don't know, there's a way to handle talking over one another in film, but this movie doesn't do the layering right or something. It's hard to keep track of everything. So, yeah, a lot of the dialogue at points will get lost because everyone's like, blah, 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 blah. and maybe that's just something that happens in New York, and you, if you're from New York or live in New York, you can deal with that but yeah my slow midwestern ears couldn't handle it sorry uh yeah um this is from the guys who directed good time their brother duo i heard good things about that one too i never got the chance to see it though that's the one where um robert pattinson like goes on this weird bender and it's like this weird like almost 48 hours thing not 48 hours um after hours sort of like wackiness sort of wacky sort of like uh, experimental craziness going on. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, especially like the lead into the title screen and the end credits where it's like almost galactic um, space brain bending uh, imagery. It's really solid. Uh, yeah, I, I picked, you know, they picked some great movies to end the year on. Spies in Disguise was, was a fun kids movie. Little Women was an excellent uh, period piece. And Uncut Gems is a really solid indie movie with, like, weird trippy bits in it. And, yeah, it's 
all good stuff. So yeah, uh, if you get the chance, uh, it's starting to play. It plays in both. It's been playing in both regular theaters and some art house theaters. I've been seeing. So if you get the chance, I definitely recommend you check it out. It's it's worth the hype. And yeah, that does it for uh, 2019. The next episode, I'm hoping to have everything ready. Uh, I'll have my lists finalized for best and worst of the decade. And um, bet I'm actually decided to up my um, my lists for uh, best, worst, favorite, least favorite, and blandest to 10. Um, although I think I'm going to keep um, blandest at 7 just based just because I haven't seen anything I missed that whole month of of September I don't even know if that would have added anything to the list but yeah the, the blandest couldn't even make it up to 10 this year and um yeah bl and, and, but least fav uh, favorite and least favorite are going to be uh 10 this year first time since I started the podcast but um this has actually been a fairly good year overall I'll say that um I'll, uh mainly be, like because I'll say this, my favorites for the year, um, there are, there's like five or six honorable mentions plus the 10. And then my least favorite, there's only 10. Like it only me goes up to the 10. So this year was actually fairly good when it came to like the bad stuff wasn't as numerous and the good stuff was a plenty. So, and that's, uh, that's, that's just like the, the, four and a half and five star stuff uh, for my for my favorites of this year. And yeah, everything else um, was either, there, there, there's not enough to make a full 10 for Blandest and not enough to uh, not enough to do honorable mentions for least favorite. 2019 was actually a fairly solid end of the decade. So good for that. Uh, we'll see if 2020 and the years to come will uh, we'll keep that up or what. But yeah, um, yeah, next if you uh keep if you want to follow my journey through the decade, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I'm continually writing uh stuff for um the best and worst lists for that and there and there's an active uh uh list as I'm adding new stuff to the list. Um I've trimmed trimmed things down just because I wasn't going to try and make a uh try to figure out what were my favorite and least favorite movies of 2010 and 2011 since I didn't review anything and didn't compile any lists for those years. So I'm not going to try and dig through the whole year. I'm just going to remember the ones that I enjoyed and uh, hated the most and just see if, how those compare to everything else I've covered. Um, so I'm hope I should be ready uh, come next week for uh, those lists. But yeah, uh, it's it's gonna be something. It's it's been a crazy year, and I can't wait to kind of recap it. But um, uh, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. If you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. And check out all of our other fine programming there, too. We've got uh, all of Donna's stuff at the Snarkcast, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Once More with Feeling, The Family Business, um, just all good stuff going on there. Living in the Sacks, we had our last episode for the year over there where we talked about the um, rise of fascism in America and Sinclair Lewis's It Can't Happen Here. Yeah, I picked a good one to end the year on. And then next year, we're, uh, we're going to start things off with um, 
uh, sh- uh, sharing indie artists, indie authors, and trying to help their uh, books a bit. So stay tuned for that next month. Um, if you or yourself are a podcaster and would like to you know, show us your stuff and see if you want to join us. Uh, you can send all your inquiries to gumbykidnetworks at gmail.com and we'll, uh, see, we'll see if you're a good fit. Uh, if you're listening to uh, this podcast on the go, you can find us on your various podcast providers. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and whatever uh, service you're using, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also share us on your various social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, I'm on Twitter at cornjunkiepod. That's where I do a lot of the trailer talks. Uh, I'm on Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. I mainly share like my uh, tickets going into a new release over there. I have no real idea what to do with uh, Instagram. But if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, it's Corn Junkie Pod. That's where I'm doing all of the end of the year recaps, like I mentioned. You can also find me on uh, Stardust. I've been getting back into that. I'm trying to play catch up over there as well. That's Popcorn Junkie over on Stardust. And uh, I think those are all the social media stuff. But if you, if you feel like you want to help support the show and help it grow and become bigger, you can do so by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. There's 10 episodes, both of Make a Better Movie and um, uh, Munch Along over on Patreon still. Uh, you don't have to join any sort of tier. It's pay what you can per month. And uh, you could uh, once you do so, you can uh, suggest stuff for the show. Uh, you can you know suggest movies for me to review. If you want any more of those munchalongs or make a better movies, uh, you can suggest uh, topics for those. Just yeah, if you want to help the show out, that's the best way to do it. And if there's anything, any kind of feedback you want to give, anything else you want to share, you can send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and Happy New Year, and let's hope the 2020s even better. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. I'd still recommend it, so yeah. If you haven't yet, check it out. It's it's a decent uh fun uh fun ride for the for. Blah, 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 blah.